Good morning, home church. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody's awake this morning, right? Including those from Broken Arrow, because you guys had your prom last night. Everybody's awake. So this message today is a little bit heavy. Everybody say heavy. And so what I want to do is I want to go off the normal track that I usually am on, and I just want to begin with prayer. Can we do that? So, Father, I just want to thank you for everybody that's in this room today. I just want to thank you, Father, for everyone that's here today that comes with a heavy heart. Maybe there's some in here this morning that need a touch from you, or maybe there's somebody in here this morning that needs to be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we just thank you, Father, that you're going to move today, that the words of my mouth that I speak today are the words that you want me to speak today. And I thank you that there will be open hearts to receive this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this is week three of my series called Upper Room. And if you remember, the upper room in Jerusalem is the focal point, is the center point, is the beginning, really. It's the center of our faith. And when there's three significant things that happen in the upper room, the very first thing is the Last Supper. And the Last Supper is when Jesus, before he went to the cross, decided to spend time with his disciples, an opportunity for him to lay out as clear as a bell the plan of God, the plan of salvation. And that that plan was through him that we would be able to have oneness with God. And that's amazing, amen? And I absolutely love that because what we see now, 2,000 years later, is we can actually go back and look in the book of John, chapter 13, 14, all the way through 17, and look at everything that Jesus said and be able to see the plan for ourselves and either accept it or not. And that's God's love for us. That while we were separated from him because of our sin, because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve fell, sin came into this world, and now God is sharing through Jesus in the upper room the plan of salvation. So we have that as clear as can be in front of us, black and white. And if you have a, a, a Bible that's a red letter edition, in red, amen? <laughs> you can see Jesus talk about that. The second thing that happened in the upper room, what I talked about last week, was Jesus and his resurrection, Jesus appeared before his disciples who were locked behind closed doors in the upper room and came to them and said, peace be with you. And so God, the son, represents the peace of God through his resurrection, that we can actually have peace because we belong to God if we place our faith in Jesus. And that's so important, amen? Like, there's nothing that can happen to me there's nothing that man can do to me that's going to ever take me away from the peace of God. I have peace with God through Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, who is the Messiah, the Christ, the living God, which is what we celebrated last Sunday, which, to be honest with you, we celebrate every day because we have a relationship with him. Amen? We don't have a relationship with a dead God. We have a relationship with the resurrected living God. And so because of that, we should have that peace, right? And man, let me tell you something. The news alerts on my phone have been going off a lot lately. There's been lots of mass shootings, lots of things that are going on in this world that are hitting close to home, that if you allow it, like the disciples, you would lock yourself away and say, I'm done with the world. I'm going to stay behind my closed doors. And what Jesus is saying to us is, no, 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 you have my peace. Now take my peace, get out from behind these doors and go do something with it. And so today... The third thing we're going to talk about that happened in the upper room is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. And that right there 
is the power of God that lives in us but also works through us to bring Jesus to those around us that are outside these four walls, the church. And this is a topic that, to be honest with you, is, seems like it's kind of taboo to talk about. Because the Holy Spirit, you know, he's, he's weird, right? Well, he, he's not meant for today. And I've heard that. Yes, amen, that is. That is a lie. Amen, all right? And not to beat on some other denominations, but Holy Spirit is not talked about. And to be quite honest with you, he's not even talked about in some charismatic circles anymore. He's regulated literally behind a locked door. And that's not where he's meant to be. The Holy Spirit is such an important part of our walk with Jesus. Major part with our walk in Jesus. So much that the promise of the Holy Spirit was prophesied in the book of Joel. And we're going to turn there today, if you will, Joel chapter 2. For some of you, this may be a very familiar passage. For others, this may be the first time you've ever heard this. And praise God for that, because I want your eyes to be open to what God promises through the prophet Joel, which was actually fulfilled 500 years later in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. So this is what Joel writes to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 28. He says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everybody say all. All All flesh. That's important. He said, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. This is great. I'm glad that we will see dreams, we will have visions, we will prophesy. That's awesome. I don't want to get wrapped around the axle of what happened or who did what. All you need to know is they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 30 says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. This is an area where it's really the judgment of God. This is the second coming of Jesus where there will be judgment on those who are unbelievers. This is not us in here, amen? And I want to make sure of that before we all walk out of here, is that we're not under this judgment that Joel is prophesying. And he says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what Joel says here is that he will pour out, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And then he later defines what the all flesh is. That is, anybody who is called on the name of the Lord Jesus and is saved. Do you get that? Every one of you in here who is saved, what does that mean? It means you were born again, as Jesus said in John chapter 3, those who are born again, you're born of the Spirit. And this gets kind of confusing, and I'm going to explain it. Not right now, but later in my message, I will explain it. But the point being is when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, we turn away from our sin, we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we place our faith in him, the fact that he died on the cross for our sins, the fact that three days later he was resurrected from the dead and is alive today, you do that, then you have just called on the name of the Lord Jesus and you are now saved. You are qualified now to have his spirit be poured out upon you. That's the qualification. And I want to drill that home. Because I feel like there's some of you in here that believe 
that you have to walk with Jesus for 40 or 50 years before you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. That somehow you're supposed to be able to walk on water before you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That somehow it's for those people over there, but not for me. It's those crazy Pentecostals down the street or that crazy charismatic church down the street, but it, the Holy Spirit being poured out on me is not for me, it's for them. That is a lie. It's for everyone who has called upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Simple as that. We've got to receive that truth because I believe there's some of us in here that feel like, well, that's not for me. And if you're a believer in Jesus, he is absolutely for you. So 500 years later, this is what the resurrected Jesus says to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So here they are. They're standing on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is about to be ascended into heaven, and he's giving them basically their final marching orders. Listen, I've already given you the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to go out and preach the gospel to every living creature, teaching them to obey all that I've taught you to obey, but also to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's the Great Commission. So they got those marching orders. And before he ascends, the very last thing he says is go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Amen. And that promise of the Father is exactly what Joel just prophesied 500 years before that. It's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's to allow the Holy Spirit to be poured out on you, not many days from now. So why do they go back to Jerusalem? Well, they're going back to a place where they're familiar with. They're going back to, I believe, the upper room. And they're going to lock themselves away in the upper room. And there they go because they know there's two other things that happened. The plan of God was revealed to them. And then Jesus resurrected, appeared before them, and they got saved. So now they have the plan of God. They have the peace of God. And so you do some reasoning in your mind. Oh, okay, they're going to go back to Jerusalem. They're going to go back to the upper room so they can receive the power of God. And that's important to understand. So here are, here are 11 men, I almost said 12, here are 11 men that are believers, that have seen Jesus resurrected, they've seen him ascend to heaven, and now they're ready to receive the promise of the Father. And they go back into the upper room. They are one with God. And we talked about that, right? That's what Jesus wants, because that's what the Father wants. What the Father wants, the Son wants. And he wants us to be just like the Father and the Son. One. Communion. Union. Together. Intimate relationship. Not far off, but together. To basically, as the Bible says, to walk in the cool of the garden with God. There is that intimacy, that relationship that was meant to be in the Garden of Eden that is now supposed to happen now for those of us that are in Christ. In other words, we've accepted Jesus and we believe in him. But there's something that's missing, and that is what we're going to talk about today. So I don't know about you, but in lieu of our wonderful gasoline crisis that we have right now and seeing the prices fluctuate up and down, 
the top of my gas tank has not experienced gasoline licking the top and I don't know how long. I have this habit, and I've always had this habit. Usually it's $20, $20, I'll throw $20 on the counter and say, hey, pump one, give me 20. It fills my tank. Of course, that was years ago. But I've kept that habit going, right? And so now I'm going in there throwing down 20, and I expect maybe half my tank to be full. And there's something deeply unsettling about that. Like, I have been very unsatisfied with the fact that my tank is not full. And I'm kind of an OCD kind of guy, so if my tank is not full and that needle's not on F, actually, I like the needle past F, you know, to the right of it. You know what I'm saying? Now I know that gasoline is licking the top of my tank, and I'm happy. But it hasn't been full, and I have not been very happy. There's something missing there every time I get in the car. And I've recently found out because I don't know about you, but my family, we tend to eat Chick-fil-A a couple times a week. Right, sweetheart? And look, she's a great cook, and she really keeps on top of things. But usually two times a week, we eat Chick-fil-A. And we love Chick-fil-A. And if you don't, you better check to see if you're saved or not. <laughs> yeah, that's you. So, and I had this revelation while I was eating my number two meal combo. That's a spicy chicken sandwich. I always put on extra pickles, get the waffle fries, and get that half diet lemonade, half uh, unsweet tea, whatever they call it, the Sun Joy. I don't know what it is, but that's what I get. And I order it through the app, and I love it. I'll sit down, I'll eat it. It's gone in like five minutes, and I'm just not satisfied. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, I even have this thought, I need to get a second chicken sandwich. Because I'm not completely satisfied. I'm not completely full. Well, hello, God. Listen, I'm not here to demean any other denomination. But I think there's some other folks in the church, whether you're in this building or you go to another church, that feel exactly like that. You're just not completely satisfied. You're one with God because of Jesus. But you're not walking in the fullness of God. And that's where we need to be. Like, I believe we have two categories of people in this room. Number one, you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to explain what that is here in a minute. Therefore, there's something missing. Your tank is only halfway full, maybe two-thirds of the way full. But there's that other third. Your spiritual tank needs to fill Feel that Holy Spirit there licking the top of your spiritual tank, and it hasn't done that. That might be where you're at today. You're one with God because of Jesus, but you're not full of God. And then maybe there's some of you in here that have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you've experienced that fullness, but you need to be topped off. And that's something that if I'm honest with you, that's something that I need to do on a daily basis. And I don't do that every day. And that's where that prayer language comes in. That's where the tongues come in. Oh, the tongues, right? Oh, that is kind of weird, right? And maybe, you're, maybe okay, there's a third category. Maybe you're the, the third category where you're always filled every day. Praise God for that, you know? Here's a question of are you using it? to be a witness for Jesus, or is it just for yourself? 
And I spent, I spent some time, I think it was a four-week series months ago about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and operating in the Holy Spirit and going through what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about for the common good. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. It's for the common good. There is a witness to those that are around us, but there's also for us to build ourselves up as well as to build up the church and build up the people that are around us. So maybe you, f- you fit into that. Maybe you need to be full because that's the last command that Jesus gave essentially before he ascended into heaven. Let's go wait for the promise. In other words, be filled. That's something that we need to do, every one of us. So why does it matter? Because this is what Jesus said right before he steps off into heaven and ascends. He says in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, he said, verse 7, I'm sorry. He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. There is this thing about receiving power. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Power of the Holy Spirit. The fact that he was able to lay hands on the sick and they got healed. Power of the Holy Spirit. The fact that we can do the same thing. Lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed. That's not you. That's not me. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The fact that Jesus was able to speak these words that the Bible said that they've never heard before. they never heard someone speak in this way before. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. You given a word of encouragement, a word of knowledge, or a word of wisdom to somebody, that's not you. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. There is this power to be witnesses for Jesus to the world around us. Amen? That is why we should be different than those around us. That's why when people experience us, they're experiencing Jesus, and they have this thought, wow, there's something different about that person. They're not like anybody else I've ever met. They're not like the rest of the people that are in this world. They're not freaking out by all the things that are happening around in this world. What is different with them? Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. That is that witness through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is that witness. But I also believe there is a witness to ourselves as well. And that's been pinging me lately, okay? Like, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will bear witness with you that you are saved. Like, you just have this knowing, okay? It's not a motion where I just accept Jesus and all is well. No, I have to mean that. It has to be a heart connection to that. And then once I'm saved, then the Holy Spirit comes and lives within me. And he marks me, and I talked about that a couple weeks ago, how he comes and lives inside of me, and then I am sealed. Remember, Jesus said that nobody can snatch you out of my hand. Nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. So there's like a trifecta security system going on here, right? Holy Spirit seals you. Jesus' hand is around you. God the Father's hand is around Jesus and you. You are sealed. That's the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But then there's this witness of the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. So where does that come in for you? Well, there is this thing called temptation, right? And I have talked about the fact that even as believers, sometimes we still do sin. But what I'm learning in my life, and I don't know about you, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm speaking to the choir here, I don't know, but God does give you an opportunity that when temptation comes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can say no to that sin that you're tempted to do. And you have the opportunity to make the choice to either do it or not. And there's that power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life as a witness. 
which is my next series. I'm going to talk about temptation, how to deal with that. So there's your plug for the next series. So witnesses to ourselves, but also witnesses to others. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe there's some of us in here that are unable to overcome some of the sin that maybe you're dealing with in your life. You're saved, but there's still stuff that's like nipping at your heels, as the Bible says, cling so closely to you. That's what Paul said, right? And as Paul says that I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I do want to do, like I am imperfect, I still make mistakes, I still stumble and fall. Man, the reason why you're not able to overcome is because you're not filled. You don't have the power of the Holy Spirit working upon you and through you. So that fullness is so important. It's great that you're one with God. It's great that you have eternal life. It's great that you can walk with Jesus. It's great that you'll walk with him in heaven when you die. But man, we're missing out if we don't have the fullness of God. So what happened in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. All together in one place. That room was not even half the size of this room. They were all together in one place. 120 disciples to be exact. This is 50 days since the last time they were in the upper room and Jesus resurrected, appeared before them in that room. 50 days later, not 50 years later, not five years later, 50 days later, young in the faith, still walking some things out, and here they are in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all, everybody say all, all. filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Folks, how do we know they were filled with the Holy Spirit? They spoke in other tongues. Man, why do we make this so complicated? Well, tongues is just for some people. No, they were all filled and they all spoke in other tongues. That is the evidence that I've been filled. Well, I believe I've been filled, but I haven't spoken tongues yet. Well, have you tried? Yes, I have. Really? Because I had the same mentality. I remember the invitation to be filled with the Holy Spirit was given to me. It took Weeks before I finally decided to step out in faith and actually try. And then I experienced the Holy Spirit falling upon me and me speaking in other tongues. And let me tell you something. That was the most powerful, most powerful experience next to me being saved that I've ever had with God. And see, here's the thing. I should be having that kind of experience every day in my life. And that's why I think some of us were missing it. All were filled. These were not mature believers. 50 days old in the faith, if you will. They haven't even really begun ministry. Matter of fact, this moment started the church. This is when Peter, after he was filled and speaking in other tongues, went out and preached the gospel around the temple. And 3,000 men were saved. 
3,000 men were saved, not counting the women, not counting the children, all those that believed in Jesus and got saved. This is not just for those that have been walking with Jesus for a long time. The promise is a gift. It's a gift. Jesus had to tell them to go to the upper room, but then they had to open their hearts to receive. And that's what they were doing. They were literally in the upper room for 40 days praying before the Holy Spirit fell. What do you think they were doing? They were opening their heart. They were asking for this promise, which they didn't fully understand what it was yet. Of course, it is a he, and that's the Holy Spirit. But they did not know. They were opening themselves up to receive. And here's the big idea. The upper room represents the promise of God being available to anyone who desires the fullness of God. That's anyone. That's anyone who's a believer. That's anyone who's made the decision to receive Jesus. And it's so important to understand that's the only requirement. So how do I receive Jesus? Well, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of eternal life is Jesus Christ our Lord, right? So if Jesus is a gift, then I receive him. I, that's what I do. When somebody gives you a gift, you receive the gift. The Holy Spirit, he is the promise of the Father. He is given freely. He's a gift. You receive the Holy Spirit like you receive Jesus. That's by faith. And that's so important. So the very first thing I want to do is I want to make sure everybody in here is saved. Everybody please stand. So to make a long story short, Peter and other disciples in the book of Acts received a vision. Peter received a vision from God about those that are unclean to receive the gospel, to receive Jesus. Basically, that vision was about the Gentiles, the Gentiles being us. You're Gentiles because you're not Jewish. You weren't born in Israel. So we're Gentiles. Well, here's a definitive moment where the gospel transfers from just being about the Jewish people now being transferred into the hands of the gospel, the gospel being transferred into the Gentiles as well. So those are all of us. That's us here right now, 2,000 years later on this side of the planet, we're Gentiles. Peter gets this vision and he's able to move into this home of a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And Cornelius and his family are there and Peter preaches the gospel. And this is what he said. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Man, I love that. No partiality. Doesn't matter if you're Jew, Greek, whatever you want to label yourself. Lord knows there's enough things you want to label yourself as now in this world, you can do it. God shows no partiality. But in every nation, Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Anyone who hears, any nation, hello United States, on the side of the planet, anyone who hears and does what is right. What is right? Receive Jesus. Turn from your sin, believe in him and accept him. By doing that, now you're acceptable to him. As for the word that 
he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. I love that. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus, the Son of God, being empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and do all the things that God told him to do. God was with him. That's available to us as well. Verse 39, And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God, praise God, raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. I love this because Peter is basically explaining everything that happened in the upper room, both the Last Supper, the resurrection. He's also referring to the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone that receives, God shows no partiality. If you do what is right, you're acceptable to God. Now you're a candidate, not just to receive eternal life, but to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. With everybody's head bowed, nobody looking around, this is a pivotal moment, I believe, for some of you that is in this room today. Maybe you thought to yourself, well, I gotta be somebody special. I have to be perfectly clean and not sinning to receive Jesus. And because I have believed that, I have never accepted Jesus. And what Peter is saying here to these Gentiles is no. No, you're going to do what's right. And what's right is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's to believe on him. It's to call upon his name and be saved. And if you've never done that, if you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, and you can't put a date on the calendar that you've done that, truthfully have done that. Now I'm gonna ask you right now to raise your hand, to be bold. This is the day of your salvation, if that's you today in this place. This is so important. The moment you decide to turn from yourself, to turn away from sin, and to turn to Jesus and believe in him and accept him is the moment that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you are sealed for all eternity. You belong to God. Somebody in here is afraid of that for some reason. And what God is saying is, I love you. Don't be afraid. Man, I want to be in a relationship with you. If that's you in here today and you've never accepted Jesus, be bold and raise your hand. Let me pray for you. Anyone?
Praise God. Everybody in here, based on what I've seen, is possibly a candidate for the Holy Spirit to fall on them. The baptism of John the Baptist is when you've given your life to Jesus and you allow his blood to cleanse you of all of your sin. Water is a cleansing element. John the Baptist was dipping people in the water and pulling them out. Water signifies the cleansing of our sin. And then as I come out of there, now I'm one with God. Now I'm raised with Jesus. There's that. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is asking the power of the Holy Spirit to fall on you and to speak in other tongues. Today, what I want you all to do by faith, I want you to raise your hands because we're going to worship. We're going to worship right now. And I want you to raise your hands. And I want you to ask for the Holy Spirit to fall on you. If you've never had that happen, if you've never asked for the gift of the Holy Spirit, then when you raise your hands and worship today, I want you to ask for him to fall on you.